My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give participants in a wide range of social change work a chance to take a longer view as they talk about what they do, how they do it, and why they do it. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Caitlin Craven and Jose Oliphant. Borders are not just lines on a map. They are tools and opportunities for the social relations of which they are a part to sort people, helping some get access to resources and making it harder or impossible for others, bringing safety to some lives and violence and uncertainty to others. Notwithstanding the Canadian self-image as welcoming and open, the rules that have congealed around borders and immigration in this country are now more than ever about dividing, oppressing, and excluding, particularly when it comes to poor and working-class people of colour from the Global South. One way this plays out is that when people who are physically inside the country somehow fall outside of the arbitrary and oppressive rules, they get slotted into the dehumanizing category illegal, a condition more appropriately described as undocumented or as having precarious status. If the wrong authority discovers this fact, no matter the life they've built for themselves in Canada, they can be ripped from it and deported. This very real fear can keep people from accessing resources and services that they and their families need. One growing strategy for challenging this fear, as an intermediate step in a larger vision of migrant justice, is getting municipal governments to declare that anyone, regardless of immigration status, can access services that that city provides or funds, and that they will not ask to see people's documents or report people's status to federal authorities. These are sanctuary cities, also called solidarity cities. Perhaps not surprisingly, the first Canadian city to take this step was Toronto in 2013. And just a few weeks ago, a second city jumped on board. Hamilton, Ontario, a city of half a million people on the west end of Lake Ontario. Craven and Oliphant were both organizers in the campaign to make Hamilton a sanctuary city. They tell me about what they and many others did to win this important victory, and about the hard work they still see ahead for migrant justice organizers in Hamilton and beyond. I spoke with Craven and Oliphant by Skype from Hamilton. My name is Caitlin Craven. I'm a PhD student at McMaster University, and I've been a member of the Hamilton Sanctuary City Coalition since May of last year. My name is Jose Oliphant. I'm also a part of the coalition. I was initially hired to do the research for the Hamilton Community Legal Clinic on this topic, and that research was used in the city report that helped influence the vote. And I just recently finished my master's at McMaster at Globalization and the Human Condition. The Sanctuary City allows all residents, regardless of their immigration status, to access city services without having to fear being reported to federal authorities. We started in May of last year. We did a session at the Hamilton Public Library explaining what a sanctuary city is. We had, at the time, a uh, city councillor, Brian McCaddy, had uh, thrown his support behind the initiative. Councillor McCaddy said something right after Toronto became a sanctuary city in February. He made kind of a comment in the Hamilton Spectator that he'd like to see Hamilton do the same thing. And then the Hamilton Community Legal Clinic kind of picked up on this idea found the funding to hire two students to help do the research, and then at the same time created this political coalition that brought together service workers, community members, and concerned citizens in the city. 
Brian McCaddy was putting together the steps to get it through city council, so we were going to mobilize along those lines. It was at that meeting that the folks from the Hamilton Community Legal Clinic put out a call to have people who are interested in the community come together and form the coalition and then work on getting the motion passed through city council. Tell me about the research. What kind of things did you find out? So myself and one other researcher, we went and interviewed 13 different organizations throughout the city to try and figure out what was actually going on in terms of undocumented residency in Hamilton. And a big part of that is because most people with undocumented residence status live underground, so we can't really figure out their numbers or what's really going on with them. But a lot of the non-government organizations that work with them, especially the settlement workers and people who work for health centers, they'll sometimes be approached. So it's really hard to get exact data on them, and we wanted to try and get somewhat of a picture of what was going on in Hamilton. So we interviewed these organizations. We figured out that there were undocumented people living in Hamilton, that they were living in fear, and that this would be kind of that first step towards making sure that they could live in this city without fear. I can't remember what the exact number was, but service agencies said that it was only about less than 10% of their clientele. The only real conclusion that we had was that it was extremely low compared to other places in Canada. So Toronto is probably where most of the high numbers are, and Montreal as well. For Hamilton, it is pretty low, but they were still here and still living here primarily underground. But the overall estimates for Canada do put it at up to 500,000 people in Canada who live without status. And Hamilton is a place that is growing a lot in immigration, so those things sometimes do go hand in hand. We learned a lot about women and children being extremely vulnerable, women who experience abuse and feel that they can't go and talk to anyone or report their partners to police services because they fear that maybe if they're being sponsored, they'll have a fear of reporting that person because then they'll be detained and then they'll lose their status. And there's a lot of myths around that because you won't lose your application if you're being sponsored and you're being abused and things like that. So we learned a lot about cases of women and cases of children and women being undocumented meant for them. The huge mental health repercussions of being undocumented, depression, anxiety, the effects these were having on parents and children who were living in the city. Often when those of us who live in Canada hear about people who are undocumented, it's often the situation in the United States where there are particular narratives and stories around how being undocumented happens and what it means. How does the trajectory that lead people to be in Canada, in Hamilton, undocumented, what does that look like and how does it differ from what we might hear from the United States? The Canadian context is really different and I think it's important to understand those differences. In Canada, most people who come to Canada arrive with some kind of status, so have some kind of temporary work permit or student visa or are being sponsored or then put through a claim for asylum or for refugee status. And it's when these things expire or are denied that people find themselves either in situations of precarious status or being completely undocumented. And so a lot of what the context is as well is that within the Canadian system, there are many different ways that the government is curtailing the access people have to more permanent types of visas and more permanent types of residency and actually expanding the temporary access so that people come and work for, you know, for two to four years as temporary workers and build lives and families in communities in Canada and then are expected to just leave and don't have the ability to access permanence and so are forced to, to make difficult choices about whether or not 
they stay with the communities and lives that they've built here and or maybe go back to situations that are less economically tenable or that are potentially violent or dangerous. And a similar thing happens with refugee status in the sense that the Canadian government has also really curtailed the number of refugee claimants that actually get accepted and through policies such as the safe country designation have actually reduced the ability of people to apply and then appeal because the Minister of Citizenship and Immigration can just declare that a country is safe and therefore doesn't produce refugees and then that becomes the way in which the case gets adjudicated. So instead of adjudicating on a case-by-case basis, it's more that because the minister has said this country is safe, your refugee status must therefore not be as legitimate. And so when we're seeing these sort of things in this context, we're seeing a lot more people in Canada being placed in this sort of precarious temporary status situation that makes them very vulnerable to losing their status effectively and then not being able to do things like access the services that they need or, you know, apply for the permanent residency that they they may or may not want. Tell me about the process of building it in the community. Once you'd, you'd done some research and you wanted to build it as a campaign in the community, how did that happen? We started out in May. We did a presentation at the library. And we invited the Toronto Solidarity City Coalition to come in and talk about what they had done in Toronto and kind of show why it could be important to build momentum by having different areas around Canada, different cities be called sanctuary cities, kind of getting municipal political leverage So they presented in May, and then we did our research. As the coalition started to have regular meetings, so we did did have regular meetings and had a wide array of people who were present, so from different services in Hamilton, so social services and other kinds, but also local activists and people from the community who were interested in the initiative and wanted to see how they could participate and then be a part of mobilizing in their own communities. So I think one of the strengths that we had was that there were enough of a variety of people around the table that people mobilized in very different communities. So in labor unions, in social service sector, in sort of activist and other types of community group areas. And the initial meetings, we kind of, you know, hashed out what we were doing, what what our principles were, why we were doing this work and why we thought it was so important and used that as a grounding to say, these are the reasons why we think that Hamilton should be a sanctuary city, but these are also the reasons that we want to take out and say, this is our framework for understanding why people in Canada should not live in fear, but also why our immigration system needs radical rethinking and needs to be changed based on the way in which it discriminates and potentially oppresses people. And so these kind of principles were important as well to forming to, to forming the way that we engaged with the community, but then also how people came to the coalition. We met frequently with different organizations and community members who were really passionate about this issue, who gathered and who did a lot of work as well, doing presentations in the community, gathering endorsements for the issue. The endorsements were just letters that stated what the issue was and that that person supported it. So we went out to our friends, to our different community groups, to our neighborhoods. We went out to different events that we thought would host people who would be like-minded and would support this issue, and we kind of just gathered from there. And in the course of that phase of the work where it was a lot of outreach and a lot of education work, did you encounter opposition, disagreement? Definitely. Yeah, we definitely met some hostile views. 
a lot of the times, unfortunately, this comes from people who have immigrated to Canada and they often asked us, well, why can't they just wait their turn? Why can't they just wait the legal route? That's what I did. That's a lot of the opposition. And the other big one is definitely tax dollars. Why should we be supporting people who are here illegally? The illegality argument is constant and very negative. So taxes, illegality, why can't they wait their term? I think those would be the top three. We tried to address a lot of these issues in the way that we reframed a lot of the questions in our presentation. So particularly the question about, you know, waiting their turn, one of the important things we, we tried to bring out was the way in which, quote unquote, waiting your turn is not really an option in the way that the immigration system has radically changed in Canada in the past few years, in the way in which these temporary processes that I was talking about before exclude and prohibit people from being able to access the other kinds of paths to immigration. And then in terms of the tax dollars arguments for the city of Hamilton, their report concluded that it would cost them no funding, whether or not that's entirely true. We're hoping that they assign a city staff person to Sanctuary City as an issue, and, and that person it would be within the anti-racism committee that they already have at council. So it is somebody that's already hired, and we're hoping that they would take this on and then do the outreach presentations. But they also recommended that a lot of telling people about Sanctuary City and now they can access services out here will come from community groups like us. So now it's kind of trying to figure out where do we go from here. But I think also with the question about how the city pays for this. One of the other things that we tried to promote as a way to break this myth that somehow having access without fear is a drain on city service budget or whatever, is to recognize that what we're really talking about are people who live and work here, right? And if you live and work here, you are contributing in numerous ways to the city as members of the community, but also as taxpayers and as people who rent and as people who work and potentially employ your own workers in the community. So I think those things were also really important for us to make sure that we got out there as ways to challenge some of these negative stereotypes and myths about the issue. When you're talking about the different groups that came together to do this work, one of the groups you mentioned was unions, and there's a, a very mixed history in terms of politics within the labor movement when it comes to immigration issues. Certainly, they've been supportive of some good things over the years, but have had a very closed and nationalist kind of approach to immigration at other points. Did you run into any of that kind of challenge in dealing with the labor groups that were involved? I definitely agree that those things exist, and I think it was maybe surprising at some times to see how supportive all of the labor groups that we did go to were. Overall, the labor groups that we went to were very supportive because of the way also that the presentations were framed and the way the issue was framed about the residents of Hamilton, people who live here and work here, not being able to access things that they need on a daily basis. There was a lot of support and a lot of people were able to get behind this idea that if you live and work in the city, you should be able to access its services. How did you know it was time to take the issue to council that you'd done enough building and you had the momentum that you needed? We didn't really have much of a choice in that. So Brian McCaddy put forward a motion to have the Emergency and Community Services Committee do this report on access to services for people in Hamilton without documents or undocumented residents. And so that report was done in conjunction with the researchers at the Community Legal Clinic. 
And then that report was scheduled to be received by the committee. It was originally scheduled to be received, I think, in December, and then it got pushed to January, and then it got pushed to February. But we had to just follow that rather than get to select the time that it would get brought to council. We collected, over the course of doing presentations and outreach and stuff, we collected a group of supporters, so emails of supporters, and we used this to reach out and get folks in different wards. So we had everybody kind of listed by the ward that they were in and then did outreach to get people in different wards, especially the ones who had counselors who were on the committee rather than just on the full council. To phone their counselors, we had a draft email that they could send in, and we strongly encouraged them to show up the day of the vote. So we had a large group of people there on both days of the vote and we wore yellow armbands to show that we were all there together and supporting the initiative. We did deputations at City Hall on Monday. We had different agencies and different community members and somebody of living experience come and speak about why Sanctuary City is important. And then the city vote was on the Wednesday and we were very fortunate. We had a unanimous vote with all of our councillors standing up. What's the substance of what Hamilton City Council committed to? So first off, access without fear. So accessing all city services and not being questioned about your status as an immigrant. And also that city service workers will not have to inform Immigration Canada if you are undocumented or living with precarious status. They also committed to having someone go out and do these presentations so that the community knows that they can now access municipal services and that they shouldn't have to fear them and that they can access them without that fear of being asked about their status. And they also committed to lobbying the government provincially and federally to protect residents of the city. They also committed specifically to training Mm -hmm. of city staff and other service workers in the city on what access without fear would mean and what it means for the job that they would do and how they interact with people on a day-to-day basis. Does this municipal decision apply to the police in Hamilton? That's kind of a tricky answer because when the report was initially done, police services was not something that we had access to. So we're hoping it does and it should, but we're not 100% sure. And there, a year since Toronto has adopted Sanctuary City, what folks in Toronto are finding is that a lot of the promises of making services accessible don't actually come to fruition. So I think there's a lot of work to do to keep on the city to make sure that they're actually enforcing what they have committed to. And I think police services is one of those ones that is going to require a lot of vigilance and making sure that that is actually the case. A lot of community education to inform people that there is access without fear now, but also we have to go after school boards and police services and make sure that the promises that have been made are kept. And following up on a very practical level with all of the services that are municipally funded in Hamilton and doing that legwork of actually really following up with them to make sure that if somebody doesn't have documents, they are able to access that service without fear. And making sure that we do that work instead of having an unfortunate situation where somebody or like a terrible situation where somebody goes to the service and their status does get disclosed to immigration and something terrible happens with that. And when we reported to City Call, we kind of had a list of 13 recommendations, and one of these was an accountability framework. So that if this does happen, that at least there will be proper repercussions. As a coalition, we haven't actually met since the day of the vote, and so we're kind of still processing. You know, it was a lot of work getting here, and we expended a great deal of energy getting to the vote. And so we're going to have to regroup now and take stock of exactly how we're going to move forward and what kind of strategies we're going to use to 
keep on both the enforcement track and the education track in terms of the kind of work we want to do. Do you have a sense yet of what the work that's focused on the province is going to look like? Part of the hope is that the movements can build through more cities in Ontario. And so as more coalitions of people are able to form to put pressure on their cities to adopt sanctuary city policies, then that can mobilize itself into putting more pressure on the province to adopt. Putting the ball in the province's court to say, well, all of these cities are saying that access to services is important and that fear is causing harm to residents of our cities and our province. So now it's the provincial government's turn to take a stand and say that they agree with this and that they are going to reshape access in this province. The discrimination on the basis of status is not what determines whether or not you get access to healthcare or to education or to whatever it may be. What kind of advice would you give to folks in other communities in Ontario who have heard about this victory in Hamilton and are maybe thinking about getting something going in their own cities? Uh, I think get ready for a bit of a fight is something that I would say. When Sanctuary City passed on Wednesday, I was a little shocked at the immediate backlash from online commentators. Obviously, nothing really beyond that online sphere, but the Hamilton Spectator wrote a pretty good article and they got hit pretty hard with some negative commentary. CBC didn't really present the issue in a way that was very holistic, I think I would say. But there was really negative reactions on CBC as well. And that's just that's just one side, right? That's people who comment on the Internet. But it is very negative. The way people react to this concept of what they perceive to be legality or undocumented is, is really negative. So prepare for a bit of a fight. I would agree with that to an extent, but I would also say that there is a vocal minority of people who are going to go online and take any story about anything to do with people with precarious status and write really terrible and, you know, often very racist things online. But there's a lot of really good work that you can do about reframing what the issues are and presenting the realities of what people's lives are like when access to services and then precarious status are involved. I think focusing too much on the negative comments is actually kind of takes away from the positive work that can be done. And I do think that the majority of people would agree with things like saying that women who are being abused by their partners should be able to access police and shelter services without being afraid, without being afraid of being deported. I don't think people would fundamentally disagree with that. And I think there's a way to mobilize these issues around this lived reality of what we're actually talking about, as opposed to going down into the trenches of the negative comments on the internet that are not particularly helpful and are often written by the same person. And it was interesting when we did the city vote, because the first vote was on the Monday and then the final vote was on the Wednesday, a lot of the city councillors mentioned that they'd gotten all these extreme xenophobic comments and that they couldn't believe how backwards these reactions were. And they said, well, this doesn't represent what we believe Hamilton is. And that's one of the reasons that they voted was they wanted to take away that negative perception. And, And what were some of the key ways that you made the strategy specific to Hamilton and made it different from what they did in Toronto? We received support initially from folks from the Solidarity City movement in Toronto who came down and gave a really great presentation the day that we had the library presentation and stayed with the group over the course of our organizing and helped us with giving us advice. We really wanted to keep it Hamilton-centered and Hamilton-focused because we are very different than Toronto and the way our city works is very different than Toronto and they were really respectful of that. 
So they helped out a lot in terms of guidance and giving suggestions about political action, but the coalition itself was very Hamilton-oriented based, and we wanted to really work with Hamilton politics to make this our issue. I mean, Toronto has a lot more words than we do, so we kind of have it a bit more of a micro-focus when it comes to our city councillors. We held a forum in November to educate the general public as well as organizations about the issue. But in terms of keeping it Hamilton, we really kind of reflected on the union aspects of the city and its welcoming nature and kind of what Hamilton represents. Yeah, the history in Hamilton of labor struggles. I mean, we were talking earlier about some of the ways that there might be pushbacks in terms of relationships with unions on these things. But Hamilton also has a very strong history of workers' struggles and collective identity and a solidarity identity that is useful to kind of tap into to say, this is another kind of issue that people can can get behind because they know how to work together. And in the organizing that you did over the last year or so, how able were you recognizing all of the barriers and all of the obstacles to connect directly with folks who are undocumented and to involve them in the work or at least connect them with the work? That was a really difficult thing for us. And I think that that's something that we also want to spend time working on and talking about as a coalition is how we're going to actually make that a reality, because I think it is really important. One of the things that was really strong about a lot of the folks who mobilized in Toronto was that they were coming from communities and groups of people who live with precarious status or are undocumented. And we didn't really have that in the same way. We had some contacts, but but not in the same way as organizers and people involved in the sort of daily organizing of the coalition. I think that's really important. I think that that is also something that makes the context of Hamilton different because as Jose was saying, it's sort of, there's a smaller number of people in Hamilton who are living with that status there. It is a much closer community. And so in some ways, the very thing that I was talking about before as things that can make Hamilton very tight also work against this kind of organizing because then people who are potentially without status then might find that information disclosed to more people than they would like because People are very interconnected in terms of the folks who work in services and things like that. And so there are all kinds of ways that I think we need to talk more seriously about how we would make this a reality in this context. But I think it's something that we really do need to focus on because these are issues that should be directed and led by the needs and the voices of people who are affected by them. So what are the key things that the coalition is going to be doing over the next six months or a year? I think we were talking about putting together educational workshops that we would start taking along with the city training to push those things along and use workshops to reach out to services and more folks in in Hamilton to make sure that the issues are out there and people know what this is about and they know what it's going to mean. And then I think strategizing as well about where this goes. So there's sort of the Hamilton context of making sure that we reach out and do that work in Hamilton. And then there's the context of working with folks from Toronto and from other cities to push the momentum in other cities, but also then push campaigns directed directly at the province. You have been listening to my interview with Caitlin Craven and Jose Oliphant, organizers in the campaign that recently won a unanimous vote from the City Council in Hamilton, Ontario, declaring the city a sanctuary city. That is, a place where everyone can access city-provided and city-funded services without fear, regardless of their immigration status. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, 
or to make suggestions about topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link marked radio. That's talkingradical.ca. I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Sudbury, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.